listening to episode 299 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with season one of The Magicians. And dude, I don't know about you, but I know better than to mess with Google Magic. In fact, I don't even see the app icon on my computer anymore. So <laughs> unlike Julia, I'm right. sticking away, staying away from Google Magic. And the other thing, this is definitely not the librarians. It is definitely not the librarians. Yes. Yeah. So, it is uh, much darker. It is much darker. And, uh, you know, I, I like this episode. Well, I can, you know, we'll withhold grades and all that for the discussion, but I, I am liking it. I, I like the characters. I like the character development more than the story development. And, and, you know, they're managing to do both. How about you? Do you like this one any better? Better than the last one. Sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's not a particularly that's, high that's, bar. It's kind of a, a low bar, yeah, but but that's okay. No, I, you know, this one was 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 pretty good. Uh, I'm telling you, I'm not I'm not anywhere near the A range, but still, like, uh, like I liked it. Okay, cool. Um, all right. Well, before we go on, want to mention that we have a Patreon account that exists to help defray some of the costs of producing Sci-Fi TV rewatch. So if you be interested in becoming a supporter of the podcast you can go to patreon.com slash sci-fi tv rewatch or you can just go to the website and there is a link over to the right side of the page now you know i've had time this week and there's nothing i really want to watch outside of the things that i have to watch for instance you know prep for the magicians uh, prep for Lucifer, which is coming up, and, and I review for Den of Geek, and they sent me some screeners. But uh, I, I don't have a tip of the week this time, so I don't know about you. You're not even going to go with the Battle of Winterfell? Well, it, my tip of the week would be learn how to edit, dude. Oh, I don't yeah. need to see a 60-minute battle scene. All right, sorry, I'm going to stop there. All right, I know you're not a big <laughs> fan of the battle scenes, but I loved it. As Christopher Bork pointed out on Facebook, uh, that's a refrain that has emanated from my voice for quite a while now. <laughs> yes. um, uh, I, I, I don't you, you can go ahead and talk about it. Honestly, for me, it was a snooze fest. Wow. Dude. <laughs> I know. I know. Whew. All right, Dave. So many emotions I'm feeling right now. But, uh, okay. um, but actually, I did not pick that. As my pick of the week, I thought that was kind of an obvious one. Plus, I was at the library, the Howard County Library, a couple weeks ago. And I don't know. Did you ever go to the like the Glenwood one? You ever been up there? I've been there before. Yeah, yeah. They have a buttload of DVDs. Like, huge, huge collection. So, I was my daughter was at practice. I was just hanging out in the library to get the free Wi-Fi. Kind of looking around, and I find uh, they had Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency on DVD. Okay. Not the old one, the new one. Had, that The BBC. Okay. Had. had you seen it at all? I think I saw the first episode, and I kind of liked it, but I don't know what happened. I think it was something like I, like the, the next one didn't record or something. For some reason, like I started watching it, it might have actually been when we were 
transitioning away from cable or something. But for some reason, like I watched like the first episode and then that was it. So I always kind of wanted to watch it. Uh, so I picked up two DVDs and I'm about what, like uh, 13 episodes in and it's pretty darn good. I like it. Okay. I think you would like um, it too. There's a lot of people you would recognize from other Canadian supernatural shows. Okay. I did see the first episode and to be honest, I don't really remember whether I liked it or not. I know Michael reviewed it for Den of Geek and if I recall correctly, he really liked it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I th- the world might fall into two people, uh, people who love Douglas Adams and people who hate Douglas Adams. And I think if you're of the former ilk, then obviously you will probably be a big fan of this show. It's definitely quirky and weird um, and funny. Uh, characters are great. Uh, you got you know, Elijah Wood is uh, plays the sidekick, Todd Broatsman to Samuel Barnett's Dirk Gently, and they are really good together. Though I know not, there's not a bunch of necessarily uh, huge Elijah Wood fans out there, but uh, I think he's okay. I think he does a decent yeah, job. Yeah, I do too. I like him. There's the, there's, so, you know, Dirk is this holistic detective. His count, his counterpart is a holistic assassin who is, She's probably the best. She's she's got a thick New York accent. She's we see her the whole first season. She's basically covered in blood, her clothes and face and everything. Because basically, pretty much, she thinks the universe is taking her to show her who to kill. So basically, wherever she goes, she she kills people there and everything. And trusts that the universe is sending her in the right direction, which is kind of funny. Some people you might I don't know. Do you remember Tyler Labine? from uh sounds um, familiar but he he was he played sock in um reaper i don't know if you've seen reaper i didn't and you've talked about it on the podcast before yeah i feel like we should do reaper sometime that'd be really good but anyway so tyler bean uh he's been in other stuff i think he was in something that we talked about i can't remember what though but uh but someone you would recognize is tony amandola okay who played um, Kagami in Continuum. Right. Uh, Roger Cross has a bit part in this. He's been in a couple episodes of it. Um, I'm going to say his name. I'm going to see if you remember who it was. I'll be impressed if you did. So I'm going to throw out to you Amanda Walsh. I don't know. I, I know the name, but I don't know why, why I, I, I know her. I would have been super impressed if you got this one. So she played Zeus on Lost Girl. Remember, oh. remember Z? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. Yeah. Where now you got the right. picture? You're like, yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. So, um, and, and they're most all those people actually just came on in in season two, but it's a really good cast. Really very funny show, but it's also got action and and some drama and everything, and uh, it's really cool. So check it out. Cool. All right, and you mentioned Douglas Adams, of course, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I don't know if you've seen the commercial for this company called Babbel.com where they help you learn languages, and I was explaining to her that, well, they just ripped the name off from Douglas Adams. She's like, well, what do yeah. you mean? I'm like, the Babel fish. Right. Who, fair enough, so, ripped it off from the Bible, so you know, could they well, might have skipped the middle point. step there. 
Well, right, but in, in Douglas Adams, the Babel fish is a translator, right? A universal yes. translator. Yeah, it's a fish you so. put in your ear, and and then it, you can understand everything, which ironically has led to more wars than anything else in history. Good point. So, <laughs> no, that's right. what that's from Douglas. That's that's from the, the book. That's that's a quote from okay. the book. I didn't make that one up. I wish I did, but okay. Douglas Adams was a, was a freaking genius. So, um, but I, I would warn you that obviously, if you are a purist and you read the Dirk Gently books, that I, I don't think the show. I don't really remember the books that much, but I don't remember any of this stuff at all in the books. So I think the the series is absolutely nothing to do with the books except for the the spirit of it is very much alive. Douglas Adams humor is uh, very much alive in in the show, so. Okay, cool. All right, well, let's see if we're going to have a battle over this episode. It sounds like maybe although we agreed pretty much last week that it was not that good, but yeah. uh, this one's called Mendings Major and Minor. It's episode five of season one, written by David Reed, who wrote some episodes of Revolution, Aquarius, Supernatural, directed by Bill Eagles, who has done a ton of genre one-offs, including Battlestar Galactica, Terminator, Sarah Connor Chronicles, Fringe, 12 Monkeys, Falling Skies, and wow. it aired on February 15th, 2016. Hey, when's the next uh, s- season of 12 Monkeys coming out? Uh, it's I'm done, just, right? Just <laughs> oh. oh, come on, Dave. <laughs> All right. When's season three of Dirk Gently coming out? I don't know. I don't know if it uh, if there is such a thing. I didn't, I didn't look up to see whether there's going to be a season three or not. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm not going to say. All right. Oh, um, it, did it get canceled? It did. I okay, I, I thought I kind of thought it did, but once again, so just, I don't know just if there's any. You didn't notice that I was messing with you. I didn't notice you're messing with me. Quinn doesn't notice that fog is messing with him. There's just all kinds of confusion going on. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to that in a second because there's a lot going on in this episode, and for me, right now, my favorite story arc is Julia's, and. and this struggle to find purpose. I mean, to me, it's really compelling because she, as uh, Pete tells her, is gone off the deep end. I mean, she is literally out of control. Yeah, that's a good way of explaining it, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Quentin going in to see Fogg because he wants to know what's going to happen to Julia. And and as, you know, you were alluding to a second ago, Fogg's, reaction is priceless i'm gonna kill her (laughs) and i I wish he had held off smiling a little bit longer yeah that's well you know that's that's the classic deadpan kind of conundrum you know how long do you do you wait before you tell i'm fucking with you quentin yeah well (laughs) and, and you've got quentin who is the perfect subject to really drawing something like that out but that's okay it really tells us as much about dean fogg as it does about quentin and his malaise that just doesn't seem to leave him and i guess you could argue now that he has the news about his father then now he's really got a reason to be bummed but we learn dean fogg is perfectly aware of hedge witches and doesn't really see them it would seem as much of a threat, but right. And, and you know, honestly, now that we've met other hedge witches, 
we we see where the the whole stereotype comes from. I and mean, we saw this one group. I mean, Marina's group is they're they're pretty hardcore. You know, like they are competent. Um, they're pretty accomplished in the magical arts. But then you know she goes to find another group, saying, "Well, I'll just find my own group," and they're not at all right. Like she's like, "I'm way further along than you guys are. I didn't come to teach; I came to learn." You know, so so we get the feeling that Marina's group is an anomaly, and that most hedge witches or hedge witch groups are kind of duffers. I I find that term hedge witch a little pejorative, though. Too, to, you know. Well, I, I guess we would need to learn the origin of it to really understand whether it is or isn't, because I, I just don't know. So I, say, I don't I, think I they refer to themselves saying. as that. So that's why I'm thinking it's, yeah. Right. Well, and, and I wonder whether Pete deliberately undersells his group. I mean, Julia returns to, I call it hedge, Witch haven and, and Pete in no uncertain terms turns her away. And, and she's like a drug addict that has to have a fix. He right. expected her to start banging on the door after he left her out in the street and went back inside. And according to her, she wants the spells that are owed her. And I'm sure Pete and certainly the viewer wondering, what do you mean spells that are owed to you? I mean, you're a student in a group. Right. What do you mean? What, what did you do now? I guess she's arguing that she went with Marina right. to break bills yes, to retrieve her memories so right. that See, she's I, owed. Yeah, like she wants her cut of, of what they stole, I guess. Right. You know? right. But I guess it's for her, in her mind, she's got nowhere magical to go. And, you know, before we get to the scene, which I, I, I think is pretty controversial, you know, when, when she meets up with Pete later yeah. on, I mean, but but before that, James comes home, and we've got this domestic Julia who says that she baked. He sits down. Apparently, the food is really good. Apparently, she's high most of the time, which I don't necessarily think we've seen any indication of that. But we certainly see there's a lot of weed smoking in this show. I mean, we see yeah. uh, Penny and Katie doing it a lot. Uh, I think we've seen... Elliot. So, I mean, you know, that that's certainly a part of this world, but he's just really happy because she's exactly the stereotype wife that he wants. I mean, I, I know they're not married yet, but I, I guess right. he wants it to go in that direction, but well, not, obviously will not, not, it's not going to happen now. Not going to happen now. And, and, and obviously for us, it, it, it's, a mildly disturbing scene because we know she's just play acting that this is not hers. Is she, does she feel she's failed as a magician? And, and as uh, I guess it was Marina said that, you know, you keep your boyfriend around as a fail safe and, and it almost seems as if that's what she's doing. Yeah. I definitely get the feeling that's exact, but because it's, it's weird because, like, like she, this whole thing, like, I, I kind of have to side with Pete on this whole issue because he's like basically, you know, after he wipes James or whatever, you know, he, he basically says, you're, you're just, I did it for him, not for you. Right. I'm right. trying to help him out. 
Like he's just going to get hurt with you around the way you're acting, the way you're going after this and everything. So I, you know, I, I tend to see it as they see it that she is just kind of keeping. Well, of course, because she just goes and has sex with Pete, right? Yeah, like, sure. So, like, I mean, he says, "How much do you love this guy? You just bone me, you know." Right. And he's got a right. point. Well, right, and and she's been using the internet. He mentions Google Magic, so whether she was actually using Google or not doesn't matter. But she was finding spells on the internet. She burns her hand and Almost calls burned the house Pete down, right? Well, right, and, and uh, calls Pete to treat her hand. And as he even points out, you know, your your boyfriend could have done this. I mean, there's nothing I have here that I didn't just get at Target. But I, I think once we see the scene progress, we know it's her ploy to use sex as a weapon and that's kind of disturbing i mean i mean look she's a beautiful woman but still disturbing that she's going that route that she's that desperate i mean again it's like a drug addict selling herself sure for a fix yeah yeah absolutely that that's a good uh comparison there um because you know once she gets what she wants from Pete, she's just like okay we're done you know yeah like, so it wasn't like, yeah, it was just totally using it to achieve her ends, which, you know, as Zero Mostel says in the producer, if you got it, flaunt it, you know. But uh, on the other hand, it doesn't, certainly doesn't make her a good person at all. Like, you know, we're really concerned about where she's going with this whole thing. Well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of torn about that because I, I do feel for her. I mean, she does feel isolated, especially from her best friend who she still sees as having betrayed and abandoned her. So on the one hand, I do feel for her, but it's difficult to excuse that kind of behavior. Now, right. that said, I don't think Pete is going to lose any sleep over what happened. Oh, no, not at all. But he's not, he's definitely not emotionally shaken by this or anything. But you know what? She strikes me as just like, because I mean, just look at her right from the beginning. She's just so unwilling to accept that she can't be part of it, that break bills didn't accept her, that the hedge witches aren't, are rejecting her. Like she just can't, she just can't move on. Right. And I think that's really her problem. Like, I mean, this woman slashed her arm so she wouldn't forget brake bills, right? I mean, that's extreme. She cut herself to to do that instead of just saying, I'm very disappointed, damn it, but I'm going to move on, right? And, you know, yeah. Quentin, we see him going down that path too, except by the end of this episode, he learns to step back. And as Dean Fogg says, you know, we fix what we can fix, Right. Instead of trying to break all the rules and go contravene every order and um, do whatever you want to get what you want, like maybe you step back and you you do what you can, but you're not always going to get what you want. Well, that remains to be seen, though, whether he's going to step back. I mean, that certainly is the message he's receiving from Dean Fogg at the end. I just am not convinced he's going to do that because of what's going on with his father and you know the cancer so uh, it's you know he's like resigned himself to not trying to like instead of trying to cure the cancer which he can't do he fixes the plane which he can do so we fix what we can fix 
I can fix the plane. I can't fix my dad. I by the end, of this, I I see acceptance for of, of of him with that. Well, and it's their conversation. I guess brings out into the open. The father doesn't think Quentin's broken. He says our relationship is broken. And as you say, I, I think his using magic to reassemble the plane not only shows his father that you know I am doing what I love and I'm pretty darn good at it. You need to accept me. And I think we certainly see in that scene that his father does accept him. His father's fairly surprised, as you might imagine. Sure. But this thing with his father's brain cancer, you know, I, I, I'm not so sure. I mean, I mean, Quentin seeks advice from different teachers, which is one of the first intelligent things he's done in this series, right. rather than just simply go out and do what he thinks he should do, can do. He at least seeks advice from the adults. But that does he listen to the advice, Dave? Well, you know, he, he doesn't. And, and sometimes yeah. trying to fix something only makes it worse. And and that seems to be the theme of this episode. And I'm not sure that Quentin's really buying into that yet. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll certainly see. Obviously, he's contemplating using magic to cure his dad. And I love Dr. Mir's response. Well, if mag- if magicians could cure cancer, why would anyone have cancer? Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and that's but, just that's his hubris. We've talked about his hubris, where he thinks, well, but I haven't tried yet, so you know, I can. And like even Fog says, like it's the first year. Like a mid, he calls him, I think, a middling first year at that too. Ouch! But um, you know, like what makes you think you could do this when we have all these much more experienced, much much more learned witches and wizards, and they can't do it. Yeah. Right. Right. But he's told that to even have a chance is going to require this massive amount of energy. And I'm wondering if they're setting us up for some sort of cooperative magic spell, because right from the first episode, we see that their core little group seems to be able to work together. I mean, maybe they don't know how they do it, but I wonder if that's what we're looking at. See, I'm not convinced he's done trying to fix his father and and he kills cancer puppy he does kill cancer puppy and that's messed up i mean that's exactly what i'm talking about first of all i was i was really this morning i was thinking about this in the shower don't don't ask how where how this got to that point but you know i'm actually kind of mad about that now i am not necessarily i don't really know enough about animal testing to say positively I'm on one side of the issue or the other. I feel qualms about it. I don't think it's morally 100% justified to test, especially like cosmetics and stuff, on innocent animals when it can hurt them. So, you know, Quentin has no problem going. This is basically animal testing, and he's testing a life-threatening spell, a dangerous spell, on this poor animal and he kills it you know like i've got some effing issues with quentin here you know like he just becomes kind of less likable with every episode for me you know yeah and you know and just to look at him he's always got that dour expression on his face and while i agree a hundred percent with everything you just said 
What also bothers me, though, is the fact that someone cast a spell on Cancer Puppy that has allowed him to live for 150 years, amassing all of these cancerous tumors, other medical issues. Uh, it, it just seems cruel in that respect. Yeah, especially, I so, mean, I had a dog that, that I mean, we didn't even know she had a tumor. All of a sudden, she just took a turn. You know, all of a sudden, she was she was great one day, and then she wasn't. And then, you know, like, the suffering that that poor creature went through, and, like, eventually, you know, we had to put her down. And it was awful, you know? But And to let Cancer Puppy live, like, that long with all these ailments, how much it must be suffering. I mean, again, I know I'm contradicting myself from what I just no, said, but, but you're absolutely right that whoever did that, the cancer puppy, yeah, that's messed up too. These people are, 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 are ridiculous. Break bills is well, not a good place. No, it, it certainly they doesn't They need seem ethics classes. They need philosophy classes there. Less magic, well, more morality and ethics. Yeah, you know, and I think we even mentioned that early in the uh, podcast yeah. ep- for episode one. Now, what do you think about the whole storyline that, that looked at the competition for a mentor? Well, let me tell you, Dave, I wasn't necessarily cr- – well, it was funny, I guess, to put it that way. Uh, okay. I love Elliot and Margot. They're probably my two favorite characters. They're hilarious. Their little competition was silly – Yes, but it was pretty, it was okay comic relief. But Dave, playing the ant, do you know who that was? Who was it? I don't. So that was one Denise Crosby, who you might better know. Oh, as. from uh, Deep Space Nine no, or Next Generation. Next She's Generation. Tasha Yar, okay. Man. Okay. Well, Tasha I, Yar. I knew Star Trek. Okay. I remember. Tasha Yar, by far like the hottest member of Starfleet ever. Yeah. So yeah, that was like at first I, I saw I'm like that she looks I didn't peg her right away. I just I knew she looked super familiar. I looked up like, oh my god, Tasha Yar. Teenage fantasy complete. Come full circle. <laughs> All right. Well you know, what you say about Margot and Elliot, obviously the the little competition against the other students and then that competition between the two of them we we needed some comic relief in this episode because there was a lot of heaviness to it and even before that though i like the scene where fog goes and finds alice who's left break bills because of the whole incident with, with her brother and and bringing him back or whatever he tells her and, and it makes sense and I, and i think it was a really the perfect time to tell her that the reason we never invited you is i couldn't risk hurting your family if something happened to you and 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 of course that makes per- perfect sense and we understand though that alice is going to say well that's not your choice to make if you think I'm qualified. So, you know, I don't think she blames him for what happened to her brother. She just wants to learn as much of the truth as is possible. So, and, yeah, and I don't think she really cares that she wasn't given an invite to break bills. Because remember, you know, when we first met her, she was like, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm just here to try and find out what happened to my brother. I don't care about all the other stuff, all the right. school stuff, you know. Right. I mean, she really just did what Julia wants to do, 
just Julia didn't get that far. So, right. Uh, but Penny's mentor, and again, I wish I'd looked up the actor because he's somebody that I know I've seen in a number of other genre yeah. shows. And he is a traveler who urges him to stick with astral projection. He, you know, he pulls up his pant legs and shows him just the bone there, which I guess is some sort of uh, device rather than the actual. Yeah. Bone. Well, you, you know, you just never know with this show, right? Well, good point. But uh <laughs> But yeah, but, I assumed but, it was it was some kind of thinking some kind of thing that they right, made. Right. And and you know, Penny's got his own kind of story that we'll talk about in a second and, and he's rapidly becoming one of the most important students at Break Bills. I I still think Julia's story is more compelling, but there's no doubt that that Penny's going to be important. But We've got the contest of a game called Welters, and even though I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan, of course, the first thing I'm thinking is, oh, well, this is just like Quidditch. Quidditch, yeah. Or, But just, you know, in a different format. Right. But, I mean, again, it was fun, but it, it did have a purpose because it gave Quentin a chance to really show everybody what he can do and omg yeah <laughs> he came through big time and and did you see fog you're thinking fog's gonna be pissed i mean he, he literally took the roof off but yeah. fog's standing and it's like he's just beaming yeah yeah like, he, he definitely yes. looks very proud of him yeah yeah it's cool you know it, it's funny because they're like oh all the mentors are gonna be watching so you know having children that play club sports and you know aspire to uh compete in in college the going to tournaments and having the coaches on the sideline watching you is like this big thing you know so i immediately thought of that and it's uh pretty pretty funny like oh the the mentors are watching better be on your game here you know this is like this is big Right. And I love the uniforms. I mean, they're all the same color and design, but but each has a specific bent to it. You know, yeah. I mean, Alice has the short skirt with the knee highs. Katie's got the short shorts, Margot cheerleading outfit. As we said, it, it uh, I won't say that Q pulled, uh, you know, victory out of defeat because I forget who went before him. I believe it was Margot and she was successful in gaining the square that that she you know, needed to, he just basically ended the game. Right. With, uh, you know, a terribly powerful spell so that everybody's back celebrating except him. All right. I mean, I mean, again, he, he's moping and you know, actually, really I'm sorry see- to interrupt you, but I just like pulled up the picture. So Quentin actually has like, so, um, Elliot has like, uh, knickers on his, his, like baseball pants that come just below the knee. <laughs> okay. Um, Quentin has, he's got one leg pulled up and the other all the way down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what's going on there. And like uh, Alice has no uh, stripes on her, she's, except for her, her socks. And she's got all, the others have like stripes. So anyway, okay. you're, you're right. Well, what it's I was going to say, yeah, that once they're back to the house, and everybody's celebrating except Quentin, of course. You know, we don't really see Margot and Quentin interact one-on-one very much. So so I really like this scene where she basically tells him 
a great way to get the things you want is to be so miserable you don't want them anymore. <laughs> and right. at first, you're thinking like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. And then like, well, no, it kind of does make <laughs> sense. But <laughs> for him, I, I guess he could make perfect sense out of that. But yeah, I do like the fact that she's trying to at least listen to him, that, that she does feel maybe what he's going through. I just don't think empathy is number one on her list of skill sets. No, no. But All right, uh, Penny's story, because this really sets the stage for maybe next week's episode. Certainly, it's got to be the week after. But, uh, you know, after... And I guess this is becoming kind of the episode of the week. Uh, this is kind of becoming uh, something that happens each episode. Penny and Katie are in bed, just finished. And she sees the sketch that we know is the tattoo that his mentor mentioned is going to allow him to anchor himself in, in this reality if he's traveling to another. And then, of course, she's like, well, you could be the greatest thief who ever lived. And. And we talked about that, you know, using magic for your own gain. It goes back to what you said a few minutes ago about needing some lessons in morality and ethics. But she's really, I think, just asking him to rethink not physically traveling. In other words, he wants to cool his jets. Right. She's like, dude, you've got this power. Why would you not use it? Right. So we can see her point. But does she really understand everything he's been told? And the answer is, of course, no, because she wasn't in with his mentor for that discussion. And in addition, we know that she's got like a a hidden agenda. No, I was going to say, I mean, she does have a hidden agenda. We just don't know what it is. Right, right. Exactly. Who it applies to. But Um, but the the thing is, like, you know, can we 100% trust what she says and everything, you know, because, you know, is she encouraging him to pursue this power because she thinks it would be good for him? Does he want to do it because she thinks it'd be cool or does she, is she pushing him because that's what Marina wants her to do? Right. And, and we don't know what Marina knows. I mean, Obviously, in this episode, Penny goes into that little meditation tent, and the next thing you know, he's using astral projection, and we don't really know how he does it. I don't even know if it's clear that he knows how he does it, but he finds this young woman chained to a chair, not not to a chair. I think she's standing up and just chained to the, the wall and the ceiling when the beast walks in addresses her as Victoria, and we learned that she's one of the missing students from that junior class that we've talked about right. from uh, on, on a number of occasions. But he's standing in the room, and neither the beast nor the chained girl seem to know that he's there. But Well, the beast does. Where it, what, what, you think? Does it, he I'm says something. Sure. To- he, does he? He says something to, to Penny before he leaves. I'm pretty really? sure. What did he say? I, I must I have missed that. Okay. okay. It just. But, I, I was taking notes fast and furious at that point, but okay. But but we but we learned that girl was also a traveler, and whether she didn't adhere 
two you know guidelines that her mentor gave to her and we don't know whether penny's mentor was her mentor or or not but uh you know he doesn't have the tattoo yet we know that but but it goes back to well where is here and right. fortunately penny made some drawings of the interior of the dungeon and shows it to quentin and he of course recognizes it as a coat of arms from the fillery stories and we're left with the fact that they think Phil, uh, they think Penny was in Fillory. And we haven't talked about the multiverse in a while, but certainly this is a vote in its favor. I, I can't believe we're not going to go and explore that story arc next time. I'll be disappointed if we don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I, they're definitely going to, obviously they're going to explore that, that storyline for sure. I'm not sure they're going to get to it the next episode they should but um you know it that might be something that because we, we've seen the beast really intermittently like one scene like every every so often every couple episodes or something that's the only thing that might me yeah. might make me think that we won't necessarily see it next but but like i agree that i wish we would right and if this is in fact fillery then the beast can travel between Fillory and what we understand to be the real world and who knows what else, but uh, anything else that we haven't brought up yet? Oh, okay. Oh, oh, so when Alice asks Quentin, like, you know, can they, can they fix his dad? And he's like, no. And she says, well, we can get through this. And I thought that was significant that she said, we can get through this rather than you can get through this. Right. Okay. You mean like they're a couple, or or, or that they're they're unite like they're like together, like they're friends, or not necessarily okay. a couple per se, but just that Alice has been really kind of on her own. Like even when she works with other people, she's not necessarily working with them. She's just getting other people to do what she needs to be done to achieve her ends. But this is the first time, really, it, like we see like kind of like team building going on here. You know, okay, it's kind of okay. like in Huck Finn when Huck says. You know, get up and hump yourself, Jim. They're after us, right? He says they're after us. They're not, not they're after you, right? Because the guys aren't chasing Huck. They're chasing Jim, right? So Good it's just point. kind of like unity there. Okay. All right. Anything else? Um, so I just want to, like, I, I really like that line where Fogg tells uh, Quentin, you know, like, he's like, well, what's the point of, of having this magical power if we can't solve, like, real problems? And Fogg's just like, well, we fix what we can, right? So, like, you know, we can't, magic doesn't, won't solve the world, but we, we do good where we can. And that's why I kind of, even though, like, the whole thing with his dad, I found kind of like, I don't know, like his dad at one point was like, oh, I love you and I support you. And then the next he was like, oh, you got Fillory, I bet you in that, that bag of yours, you know, like kind of denigrating him. And they still call him Curly Q, too. I'm like, he's well into his 20s, dad. You know, probably <laughs> yeah. you could stop with the curly Q name, but uh, um, but anyway, so I, like, it really, I thought that that last scene was really nice. If anything, I might raise my rating a little bit by that nice scene where Quentin, I, I what I saw is Quentin realizing I can't fix, I can't cure the cancer, I can't fix my dad, but I can make him happy. 
by repairing the plane and showing him that I'm not a complete duffer. So and that's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. You want to give it a grade? <sighs> I'm going to say B plus. Okay. Well, that's what I'm going. Oh, okay. Well, there B+. you go. Yeah. I mean, I thought about A minus and, and I, between the time I do the blog post, who knows, but a, a solid B plus. I thought it was a, a really strong episode with, with a lot of good to it and just leave it at that. All right. Well, anyway, well, let's hear what Fred has to say and then we'll come back and, and talk about it. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Magicians, Season 1, Episode 5. Today is the 27th of April, and that's our national holiday. It's our King's Day, actually the birthday of our King. I still have to get used to the term King's Day, because he is King since 2013, and before him there were three women, uh, his mother, his grandmother, and his great-grandmother. So we always had a Queen's Day. And normally we get a day off, as you probably on the 4th of July. But it's a Saturday, so most people have a day off anyhow. Okay, some extra time for Fred for Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. The second season of Star Trek Discovery ended, and I did a lot for two podcasts there, and as Dave referred to, I also took an enormous amount of screenshots of those Star Trek episodes uh, to provide some screenshots for the blog post of Golden Spiral Media Star Trek Discovery podcast with Brian and Ruthie. And mostly I took between 200 and 300 screenshots of one episode and selected then about 40-50 for the blog post. So that was a lot of work. So I have my hands free for Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Until Mark the Code of Solar Talk Media starts with the podcast for the last season of Killjoys and the podcast for the next season of The Expanse. I shortly want to come back to one of the movies I had on my Patreon top 10 list of last week. And that's the 2004 Thunderbirds movie. It is a movie with real people instead of the 1965-1966 Super Marionation setup, which was created by Gary and Sylvia Anderson. With the 2004 movie, I don't mean the two theater movies they also made in the 60s. So you had a TV series, but you also had two cinema movies of one and a half hour or so. So there is one movie called Thunderbirds Argo from 1966 and a movie Thunderbird 6 from 1968. So probably Dave all remembers this himself, and perhaps Wayne is a little bit too young for it. At the age of six, Thunderbirds and Batman were the very first TV shows I was allowed to watch. Although filmed in color, this was for us, of course, in black and white. It was at a time that not even every household had a TV set yet. I think Thunderbirds very much shaped my taste for science fiction. I think you have to have some everlasting feeling of love for the original puppet series to appreciate this 2004 movie. Watching this movie without any knowledge about the original Super Mariation series makes it somewhat shallow. A lot of it is the fun of recognition of the nostalgic stuff, but now presented in a more fleshy, real-life and modern version. 
looking up the Thunderbird film myself, I suddenly noticed that Bill Paxton is actually playing Jeff Tracy, so the father of the five Thunderbird sons. And Bill Paxton is very much in my focus because I'm watching the first two seasons of The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. now. And there he is, of course, the big evil John Garrett. And looking him up on IMDb, I noticed he died in 2017, a thing I didn't know. I'm looking very much forward to what you are going to do with my list. And that it will take a while is, of course, very logical. Perhaps even some stuff I have to watch again myself. In my last week's notes, I also give more or less the reason why I chose for several of the movies or series on the list. And if you want to, I can provide more background information on that. I still have to say, this is a very, very nice idea to do something back for your Patreons. I never encountered it with any other podcasts or so. It's a really nice idea. I like it a lot. And I also hope that this will attract a little more Patreons or that also the other Patreons are going to do this. Because I'm interested in what they would like. Past and future, you and I. Yeah, the official trailer of Dark Season 2 is out. And creepy it is, even more creepy than the first one we saw. Although there's still some doubt if the first one was an official one. On the other hand, where does this film material come from than from the makers? But this one is really impressive. The apocalypse must come. The apocalypse must come. Well, what surely will come is dark on the 21st of June, which is about in eight weeks. And if my calculation is right, you will end up with one overlap of the magicians and dark, meaning that Friday the 21st, you will release the magicians episode 12 podcast. So in that week after that, there will be dark. And there will be the last episode of season one of The Magicians. Well, you probably will come up with a solution for that. I don't know yet if Netflix will do an all-at-once release or a weekly release. Never mind, I'm looking very much forward to that series. And if you compare it to The Magicians, uh, it gives a little bit another feeling. But I still will give The Magicians a chance. Shortly going into episode 5, I think Dean Fogg has a nasty humor telling the completely uncertain Quentin that he is going to kill Julia. Dean Fogg also said, don't you worry, head witches tend to crash and burn quite quickly all on their own. Obviously, they have experience with head witches, but is this a good or a bad sign for Quentin in the sense of getting Julia back? And what will it mean for Julianne? She left the head witches. So, do we see more of the head witches? 
I think Marina is still in play. I'd like to be right once in a while. As I predicted, Marina is indeed a Breakbills dropout. Although I'm a bow tie wearer, I do like how they knot their regular ties at Breakbills. Have a look at, for instance, Dean Frog's tie. I didn't like the dad's brain tumor story. You found the Quinton in the mental institution a trope last week. I not so much. But the sick father that has to be rescued is a trope for me. Funny was how Elliot and Margot stick to Alice because they just want to have an entry at Aunt Genty. I had the idea that Dean Fogg's eyes were of glass, whereas you said in some earlier podcast that you thought they were real, but they still had to heal. In this episode, Dr. Mears says to Quinton, do you know why Dean Fogg didn't fix his eyes? And Quinton says, I guess just assumed he couldn't. Dr. Mears says, treating something like that requires an enormous amount of energy, and that comes at a cost. So, real or glass, that's still not clear. But it became clear that they probably won't heal. Did Julia have sex with Pete just for the information about the other hedge houses? Or is she just throwing herself under the bus towards James? So she finally has a reason to finish that relationship. Well, afterwards, Pete did it for her to wipe James's memory. The competition magic game felt very much like Hogwarts, with these club banners in the back, etc. Quinton shows to have more power than he thought, although he seems to need Alice to keep things in control. The relationship between Stanley and Penny is somewhat unclear. Stanley enters Breakbills and presents himself to Penny as his mentor, and Penny says, I didn't ask for a mentor, and Stanley answers with, I don't give a shit, you are what you are, so I am here. But later he doesn't want to help Penny after Penny had discovered that there was a traveler between him and Stanley. He saw her in his astral vision. So I have two questions. Why is Stanley so unwilling to help? And the second is, why doesn't Penny tell Stanley anything about the Beast? Last topic. There were some references to other films and series in this episode. Actually three. The Hunger Games, Star Trek and The Game of Thrones. In the beginning, Margot says, This year we are going to will the alumni week Hunger Games. And Elliot says, My mentor last year was a nun. Never again. Later, Stanley says to Penny, Had the lecture yet on sticking with astral projection? Penny, I don't watch Star Trek. And the last one, Katie to Penny, when he drew the Amber's seal. Looks like a Game of Thrones fan art. And that seal brought us back, finally, to Fillory again. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, well, as Fred said, he's got some more time to devote to sci-fi TV rewatch and The Magicians now that some of his other shows are not occupying his time. And he sent us some pretty cool pictures about uh, King's Day in his home country of the Netherlands. So, uh, Fred, that, that's pretty darn cool. And, and then he mentioned some of the items on the list that you and I are working on for his top 10 list. So, uh, you know, Fred... 
you know, made his points in his feedback. Uh, I, I think we'll withhold our comments until we're actually talking about, uh, you know, for instance, the 2004 Thunderbirds movie. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to that at, at some point for sure. He also mentions that Dark Season 2 trailer is out. And as somebody pointed out in the Facebook group that the one we talked about in, in the one podcast where we dissected it uh, may not have been uh, a legitimate trailer. And, and I think we acknowledged at the time that that we certainly couldn't you know, verify that. But that said, where did some of those pictures come from? Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, all right. Now, on to the episode that we were just talking about, episode five. And he mentions Dean Fogg's sense of humor. <laughs> he refers to it as a nasty sense of humor. But, uh, you know, again, that, that I just wish he had dragged it out a little bit. But, but we do get from Dean Fogg, as you mentioned, the information about the hedge witches and whether they are really a threat to break bills. And I, I think that one scene where Julia goes to that bar or clubhouse or whatever it was, uh, was that, that uh, Pete sent her to, and then she you know, found that they were a bunch of uh, lame ma- magicians. You wonder whether Marina's group is just really trying to lie low, that, that fly under Break Bill's radar because they do have something they're cooking up there. There's obviously the subtext tells us that Marina's group is going to go after break bills at some point. Well, th- yeah, you know. definitely. Like I, you know, at first I thought that maybe they would end up kind of like teaming up, but I think I tend to, especially after the last episode to agree with you that, that, yeah, that there's going to be conflict. Right. Now, Fred mentions that he's a bow tie wearer. And if you've seen any, pictures of fred you you know that to be true but he says he does like how they knot their ties on break bills elliot's the only one that we see with a tie i mean penny usually just seeing a t-shirt i think so uh that's kind of part of elliot's wardrobe which which is definitely cool um the brain tumor story and you know we've been talking about not only the brain tumor but the the cancerous tumors that cancer puppy had to deal with and fred feels like the sick father who's going to be rescued is is a trope and i can definitely see that i think you and i disagree as to whether quentin is done trying to fix his father i don't think he is you you feel that maybe he's put that one to rest so i I think so we'll find but i if if they went the way I, I wouldn't be surprised if it went the way you say it. So, right now he also brings up the, the thing about Dean Fogg's eyes, and I really do feel that at some point he's going to regain his sight. And I know that we're told in this episode that it would require this, you know, a massive amount of energy that to get my sight back, I'd have to give something else up. Fine. I just find it hard to believe that eventually Dean Fogg's not going to regain his eyesight and the use of his hands. But- yeah, and, and honestly, when when James, when we, we'd realize that James has forgotten jewels, I was, at first I was like, oh, is it because some spell she cast? She just went too far and now James doesn't remember. But 
No, you know, Pete actually did wipe his memory. So. Right. And, and as you said earlier, I mean, he does it for James' benefit because he understands that she's out of control and Marina is out of control. Pete's sort of caught in the middle, which is an interesting subplot in and of itself, I guess. But then he brings up Julia having sex with Pete and Fred brings up something that I didn't really think about. It's clear she does it for information, but does she also do it as a means of breaking up with James? I don't know about that. I don't think she's really thought about it in those terms. I think she's so focused on getting the spell information that the whole James thing, she'll just deal with it as it occurs. And if it happens, it happens. Clearly, she's not in love with James, as as Pete points out, unless this is a new definition of love. I forget exactly his words, but. Yeah, I, I, I definitely feel like the, I, I've definitely come around to the, the notion that the characters say that she's just using James as a, as a fallback, you know, like really what she's focused on is, is the magic and that's comes first for her. Right. Now, he also then brings up the relationship between Stanley, who is Penny's mentor, and how it's certainly off to a rocky start. Uh, He's such a great character already, uh, uh, Stanley, that is. And the actor, as I said, we'll have to look him up. I I should have done that already. But so I I, I, I looked it up. I don't know if there's anything. He was he was in Revolutions, like two episodes. But okay, I can see that maybe I would have seen him in. Okay. Okay. But I hope that's a relationship they explore a little bit. I don't don't suspect they'll carry it throughout the whole season, but but I really like it because the fact that Penny has such a specialized power that we certainly feel is going to be uh, instrumental in in defeating the beast and uh, you know Penny it, it doesn't seem to be like Quentin in fact just the opposite that he doesn't want to explore his power. He would just as soon not have them, which then begs the question, why does he stay at break bills? But Right. Well, because, you know, there's hot chicks there who want to have sex with you. So, you know, like maybe that's it. But, you know, um, I, I think one thing about Stanley, though, is like he just completely blows Penny off, though, like later. Like, you know, his basically his advice is get a tattoo and he leaves. Is Is he a... Hamish Abernathy type character. I don't know if you saw, did you see the Hunger Games? I did. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So yeah, like Woody Harrelson's character, disillusioned veteran who just wants to drink and can't be bothered with, and just doesn't want to deal with all the, the, the difficulties and conundrums that life throws at you. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. So, Okay. Uh, anything else you want to bring up about Fred's feedback? No, I the 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 knot that he sh- I, I I like that knot that is that's definitely not a Windsor knot. I'm not sure what type of knot it is, but it's a it's a nice knot that uh, Fog is rocking on his tie there. I can't even tell you the last time I wore a tie. <laughs> I mean, dude, literally, it's got to be. Um, well, I I remember. I don't even want to say, but. Uh, it's been at least four years or so. So anyway, all right, well, we'll go ahead and leave this discussion of the magicians right where it is. And that's going to do it for this episode of sci-fi TV rewatch. We want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about 
uh, Traveler's Haunting of Hill House obviously shows that that we've finished with. Uh, obviously, The Magicians. We've got Dark on the Horizon. Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. Uh, if you're already a member, spread the word. Bring some people in. Emails go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails can go via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access through the website. We'll be back next week to continue our discussion of the magicians with season one, episode six, titled Impractical Applications. But until then, you know, like last week, I was just driving along and I thought I would make it to the gas station, but I ran out of gas. And there I am on the side of the road. I just was thinking, why can't it run on love or cocaine? <laughs>